0: Yes, it's stops. This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't exactly have its hands on the interest rate levers. We'll leave that to other people. I'm Scott Phillips, and all oh, as always, with me is Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. G'day, Captain. How are you? Mate, I'm excellent, as always. Mate, any better, I'd be twins, as I like to say. <laughs> uh, mate, we've got a busy podcast. We've got a little bit of macro news to get through before we get to our favourite segment, the mailbag. We'll talk a little bit about some company news, an IPO in the US that is uh, going to keep you on the seat of your pants. That's a bit of a pun there. (laughs) Stay tuned. Uh, And you might give us a little bit of a rant, I think. We did discuss a, a possible high horse earlier. So if we have time and if you have the motivation and the interest, we'll see what you've got for your high horse. But let's start with the macro, buddy. So the big news this week comes out of the US, as it always does. And for once, thank God, it's not Donald Trump. It is Jerome Powell, or Jay Powell, as the cool people like to say, people who think they know him. Uh, He's the chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, and he's put the kibosh on further rate rises for at least this year. That's something of a climb down from where the Fed was only three or four short months ago, mate. What's going on? Is Donald Trump in his ear? Has the data changed? Is he getting a little bit of cold feet? Why is the U.S. not going to raise rates?
2: Yes, yeah, so I mean, a few months back, maybe three, four months back, as you said, he was saying there were going to be a couple more rate rises. Now he's saying that the most likely course is to stay flat, mm-hmm. and the culprit, it seems, is the world economy.
1: But come on, none of that's new news. The right? world
2: economy is not growing but what's fast changed?
1: enough. Nothing's changed. This is uh, I, 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 none of. If you look around the world, you said if, you, if we asked this question in December and said, well, Australia's muddling along, Europe's a bit flat, China's kind of still growing but it's slowing rates, Brexit's still going on. I don't reckon anything's changed in the last three months, but his tone's changed meaningfully.
2: Yeah, I think maybe the fact that, you know, the, the trade war is still ongoing, nothing has been resolved. Um, mm. uh, uh, Europe is still in a funk. Mm. Um, you know, maybe he's feeling that the, um, the rate rise uh, would affect um, the US. And, and therefore he's saying, well, you know, we've got to watch the data and see what
1: happens. Mm-hmm. But again, so- that hasn't changed, though.
2: Well, it hasn't changed but i mean I, I think you know they did a couple of rate rises right their unemployment there still is pretty low mm. um and maybe he's just fearful that you know he might <laughs> uh stoke the, the you know the wrong button here and and cause a, you know maybe cause a slowdown in the economy so
1: nobody wants to be the central yeah. banker who causes a recession right <laughs> yeah
2: he doesn't want to be that and you know maybe, maybe there's some politics here i don't know
1: <laughs> now <laughs>
2: politics could always be at, at play
1: chairman mahanti yes jerome powell's on leave you're in charge are you sticking with no rate rises in 2019 or would you be tempted to push the little up lever a bit further
2: I would have I would have pushed up that was, that, that was what I would have done but and why what do I know well I, I think that you know we have had uh, easy monetary policy for a long time mm-hmm. uh, and, and that can create lots of bad habits <laughs> in, in in people's uh, minds and in businesses and so on so I think you know the economy is, in the US is really strong. Uh, I would have used that to maybe increase, maybe rate by one more time at least. So that's what I would have done.
1: I would too. I'd also be increasing rates here in Australia, by the way, but that's a whole different question. Mate, we'll get back to the Australian macro, but before we do, let's stay international a little bit. The other big international news this week was that Brexit is kind of Brex suspended. That's not going to catch on, is it? (laughs) Hasn't been been suspended for a long time. No, Will Will Porter had a producer shaking his head at me thinking (laughs) I really shouldn't be on radio (laughs) with that sort of stuff. Probably fair too, mate. We'll we'll re-record this later. It'll never get away. Um, (laughs) We... So it's been pushed back, apparently. Uh, The Europeans are playing hardball. The UK opposition is playing hardball. Theresa May, for the millionth time I've seen a headline, Theresa May's PM's got to go, da-da-da. She seems to be clinging on for dear life. But Brexit's been pushed back. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you seen a more dysfunctional political... I I suppose it's a a high bar, right? There's plenty of those. But I, I can't remember anything as... I'm trying. I even think of the right word. Dysfunctional is the best word I can come up with. It, it's kind of a, just a bit of a debacle, isn't it?
2: It looks like a complete mess. Is is what I can. And you know, I really don't understand what the core issues here are. I mean, mm. the EU is going to make it hard for them to leave.
1: Yeah, that we always which need. it has to, right? Because all has other to, countries, all they everyone
2: leave, else so. will start start leaving, right? right? I mean, that that completely makes sense. Um, and, and I don't know what mm, how they can expect. To mm. get uh, easy terms or terms that you know it works for them, um, mm. you know that makes it, again as you say easy for everyone else to leave. So I don't know what what they can expect. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know what their uh, their member of parliaments want. And yeah, well,
1: they, they, they want out, but they want all the good stuff. They, <laughs> you know, they want to, it's, it's a Clayton's exit, right? They want to we want to leave the Euro, the European yeah. Union, but have all of the benefits. It's kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it, can you? That's kind of you know, yeah, that's that's what one hundred and one yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, investing wise, I mean, it's been dragging on forever. Seemingly, we've kind of been waiting for the next shoe to drop. How do you think about Brexit when it comes to your investing?
2: I, I'm, I'd be cautious about stuff. You know, exposure to UK mm. financial services is 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 a, is is a is a worry region. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think it will sort itself out. I mean, it's not. It's not a huge component of my thinking process. And I think a lot of our companies, some of them have UK exposure, but not a lot of them. Right. So I think it's not a big deal. Mm. Um, But, you know, again, there might be other flow on effects that I haven't considered.
1: Let's see here. All right, Matt, let's move on. I I completely agree with what it's worth. I think this is going to be one of those things. I mean, remember when the Brexit vote itself came out and and the markets dropped, I was like 7% something stupid in the UK. Um, it was a non-event. I think it will continue to be a non-event. I don't really see it being a, a big issue either way. But, so let's come home. Let, let's finish off our, our uh, quick race around the world with a bit of Australian macro and some good news from Australia. Unemployment falls to 4.9%. Record. Not bad for a country that's, in theory, apparently, so the speculators say, in some sort of economic trouble, is it? I mean, geez, what what do you want? Low inflation, low unemployment growth, okay, interest rates are low. It's the promised land, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Is it, a, what, eight-year record? Something like that. And, uh, Pretty good. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, again, the numbers are are great. I think that, on, the only thing to note is that most of the jobs were part-time. Yeah. Um, not enough full-time jobs, but hey, I mean, there's nothing to, there to complain about.
1: Fair to say, the participation rate did fall in the month. Yeah. So that, did, that did bring the number down. It's always easier if you've got a, a smaller denominator, as the uh, as the mathematicians like to say. In other words, if you've got a smaller base of people you're comparing against, if there's fewer people in that list, um, of course your percentage is going to come down. But broadly speaking, it's been going up over time, so it's not unreasonable to think it would move around a little bit. Uh, some big, big moves by state I saw, too. WA unemployment apparently came down almost one percentage point, something ridiculous, which I expect will probably be a sampling error, at least in part, rather than a real number. In any case, though, uh, it's tempting to think that the Australian economy might be heading for some sort of trouble, but, geez, we're looking pretty good in the meantime.
2: I, I thought the numbers were really good. Yeah, I mean, in if, if such numbers, you know, nothing to complain about.
1: <laughs> Mate, now speaking of complaining about numbers... Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's look at poor old TPG. Mm. I'm old enough to remember, you don't have to be that old to remember, by the way, the days when, the the go go days when telcos were all the rage. Telstra was at six bucks, Vocus was at nine dollars, TPG, I want to say, got to 12 or 13 bucks. Uh, fair to say, none of those companies are at those prices at the moment. Um, it's been a, it's been a decent come down for these guys. In fact, TPG's results out during the week, revenue actually fell. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's it's a long way back from the kind of the double digit growth days of kind of you know telcos printing money. Um, the company saying, well, our margins are down because of the NBN and our prices are down because the NBN and and things are a bit tough. I think it's it's unquestionable now, surely that. That telcos have gone from go-go growth tech stocks to basic utilities with utility-like sales and profit growth, and in fact, profit under pressure because margins keep falling on the back of the NBN. Where does that leave TPG mate and the rest of the telco sector? Is this is this utility land? Is this low, regular, stable returns? Is there a return to growth, or maybe do things get worse before they get better?
2: Um, I, I think the, um, the telco land is mostly a utility land. Like, right. I mean, you know, it's a utility that we need. It's a utility that, you know, we, we can't live without. But, I mean, there's a lot of competition, not enough growth, right?
1: And um, I'm going to stop you actually for a sec. I'm sorry to do this halfway through. I'm going to define my terms because I didn't do a very good job for our okay. listeners who might be thinking, mm. utility what? What's a utility? It's a, it's, a, it's a Stanley knife, utility knife or something. When we talk about utilities, we're talking about those businesses or organizations that are there to provide basic services um, for society, and normally we think a utility would be a water company, electricity company, uh, increasingly telecommunications, as we're talking about. But those kind of uh, ubiquitous services that we all use and rely on, gas pipelines, for example, might be another one. Um, we call them utilities, and they generally have certain characteristics. They tend to be low growth because once everyone in the, in the, in the country's got a, a phone line or an electricity cable or a, or a gas main or a um, you know a water line. There's only so much growth you can get out of that, and so what you end up with utility companies is pretty pedestrian, you know, small amounts of growth, effectively in line with population, maybe a bit of pricing growth if if costs go up or something else, and relatively stable profits, and they tend to give relatively stable dividends as a result because these are kind of they're almost they're almost term deposit proxies right at some level, and they shouldn't be ever considered that safe. Um, but at some level, that's kind of what we talk about when we talk about utilities. So, mate, I wanted to do that. That well, was my my bad yeah. in the beginning. So now, now with that out of the way, I'll let you go back to TPG. Is now a utility? Yeah. You say
2: TPG is a u- utility. I mean, you know, the the thing is that unlike Telstra, TPG doesn't pay a, a healthy dividend, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so if you're buying TPG, you're expecting True. growth. Yep. Um, but I don't know where the growth comes from. So that that I think that's the issue with having TPG. Mm. I mean, TPG also is is is, is trying to merge with. Uh, with Vodafone, Correct. right? So, I mean, or Hutchinson Telecommunications, yes, yes. Um, as it is called. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's going to be, you know, the, the, the go-go days, I think, are far behind us. Mm-hmm. Maybe the next stage is when 5G comes. I just have a hard time seeing how 5G is going to materially change. Um, I mean, all the all, material change, the revenue dynamics for them, right? I mean, revenue, there was like, what well, revenue fell, what, two and a half, three percent 3%, something like that. Yep. I don't know how the revenue goes back to growing. I'll say One point
1: seven, I think. But in any case, okay. uh,
2: some 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 small, small but meaningful, small decline. small meaningful. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the operating profit went up because you know <laughs> some other things happened, um, but uh, yeah. Again, I, I just don't see how even five G changes the dynamics. I mean, everybody who wanted to have uh, who has a phone and has a network, you know, has data plans and so on, has got it, right? They're going to ask for more. Maybe there's going to be some growth, but I mean, you know, it's very hard to see how the growth is going to be like spectacular. So, and we have to also remember that a lot of the growth came from acquisitions, right? And in the past.
1: Right, IINET, um, IINet, pipe pipe
2: networks before that. Uh, then there was Vocus. Um, Vocus merged with M two. M two
1: after buying Mcom before that. Mcom
2: before that. <laughs> so yes. I mean, you know, there was a lot of consolidation that happened in that space. And, and you know, I just can't see how the Competition Commission is going to allow any further no consolidation. I think, I think right?
1: this one's it. In fact, TPG shutting down their mobile plans in Canberra. Yeah. Um, in theory, they're saying because of a supplier issue, which I'm sure is true, and yeah. certainly I don't want the defamation lawyers coming after me, so let's assume it's true. Uh, it also doesn't hurt that it would remove some overlapping infrastructure exactly. with that, with Vodafone, which cool. might have earned the ACCC's ire. Mate, you mentioned 5G, so just before we move on, I do hmm. want to ask about that. The, the, the big hope for telcos was kind of 5G specifically, but more the internet of things in general. There's been this hype about internet-connected devices. Everything's going to be internet-connected with a SIM card in it, whether that's vending machines or tractors or Um, I don't know air conditioning units, Mm -hmm. or you know the the whole idea that everything you know, new machinery, new devices, everything was going to be internet connected because it was going to allow us to have better information, more responsive devices. Um, I said everything from a tractor driving around a a field in parks through to the local vending machine to let you know when it was full. Uh, To the extent that's kind of still apparently a thing, and that should, in theory, have if it does happen. Uh, we should see multiples of the number of devices connected now, right? You're right, everyone's got a phone, everyone's got a home broadband, or almost everybody. At some point, though, if every kind of dumb device becomes a smart device, some will be Wi-Fi connected, but those that aren't, are you you doubling or tripling of of the number of connected devices in in the next five or 10 years? I mean, that's got to be... With well, something to the telco, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. So in 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 the good old days, this used to be called, you know, uh, the machine to machine.
1: That's my line. dude, yeah, The good the, old days.
2: The machine to machine communication, <laughs> right? There's all these yep. things are going to be on the network, and they're all going to talk. Right. 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 And they're all going to use three G, four G, whatever, five G. That's going that's to be available. All the right? G's. You know, one of the things to remember, though, is a lot of this machine to machine communication that happens is not very data heavy. Okay. Right, So there's a little. So really of, small packets. Small packets of data being sent, right? Okay. Um, you know, if you think about the little um, uh, pay terminals and FPOS terminals, and they're all like, you know, they're all three, 4G connected, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how much data are they really sending? True. So, I mean, the, the, the telcos are going to make some money off it, but I mean, I just can't see it, you know, as. Uh, you need a killer app, you need a killer data consuming app, and yeah. maybe that's what it is.
1: But you're gonna to have to pay some sort of flag for some sort of monthly access charge, aren't sure. you? I mean if you've got a if I put a sim card in a in a vending machine, I am only sending data, you know, really, really tiny amounts, SMS kind of equivalent data yeah. once a Day or once an hour or something, so it doesn't cost much. But someone's going to charge me a couple of bucks a month at least to have that SIM card connected, under. not Yeah, so
2: you make a couple of bucks, but I mean, you know, you also got to remember that you know you maybe are making a couple of bucks less on the data plans because the data plans have become competitive, right? right? So, I mean, yeah, So I mean the pool has become bigger, but it's not as if like there's a lot. Again, I think the value translates to some extent to how much data you're consuming, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, most of the data we consume is via our broadbands, right? Mm-hmm. So.
1: Fascinating. All right, so you're not buying TPG shares, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> and we do expect they'll be they'll be taken over. I, th- I think it's fascinating that the change. You know, if we'd been doing this podcast five years ago, we would have absolutely been talking about the, the hyper growth or the, at least the, the very fast growth of tele- telecommunications. And we may have, uh, have expected to see something. We've uh, a chair advisor. We've recommended TPG twice. We've sold it then twice. The well, first time on valuation. The second time on the takeover news. Uh, made money on both occasions, happy to say. But broadly speaking, the kind of the growth days seem well and truly numbered. Get more Motley Fool money advice at
0: fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, I want to ask you about, I mentioned Hang On By The Seat Of Your Pants. <laughs> yes. I'm um, tempted to sing a bit of Tony Dance by Elton John, a bit of Blue Jean Baby LA Lady, but I won't because I value our listeners and frankly, we can't afford to lose any. But I've given a couple of clues there. Mm. It is the very venerated name mm. of Levi Strauss & Company mm-hmm. that finally overnight returned to the public markets after being private for almost 35 years. Wow. It's 160-ish years old, I want to say. Very old. But it's now back. It's back! And the shares rose by 32% after listing. Mm-hmm. Now, neither of us on done a heap of work on Levi's, but we can't let it go without saying. I'm wearing a pair of Levi's. That's how ubiquitous they are. Mm-hmm. Um are you interested at all in the company, the valuation side? Of course, we have to do that work separately. But one of the, one of the very best, biggest, longest um, surviving, and frankly, longest thriving brands in the world, I think I want to say. I don't know how many other countries, companies that have kind of that quality of brand have been around for that long. I, I, I Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Not even 160 years, That would it? Like, it'd be. Uh, Kogel, isn't Kogel around for like. Uh, I want to say 120, 130. Anyway. Yeah, by, in any case, there's not many of them, right? Yeah, like that, many, that kind yeah. of idea. Like, mm. Levi's is probably one of the first kind of batch of, of consumer brands. Mm-hmm. Um, Heinz might make it somewhere close to that, possibly. It's back on the public markets. The shares are up. The market loves it. Are you going to have a look and see whether the shares are of interest? Absolutely not. Not a no chance. Why not? <laughs> I wear Levi's, you wear <laughs> Levi's. Will's too cool to wear Levi's, but if he wasn't. No, he wears the thumbs up. Yeah. I rock Levi's. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Come on, doctor. That, that's that's 100% of people yeah. we've surveyed so yeah. far. Here's the problem, I think, with Levi's
2: <laughs> everybody who wants to own or has a Levi's in their you know, wardrobe yeah. has
1: it. Right.
2: How often do you buy your Levi's?
1: As, as infrequently as I can. And when I do, That's I buy them insane. online. <laughs> it's like You buy
2: them online. And I you, buy them on, uh, you know, you know, I buy them when they have two for one. Yep. Right. At <laughs> <And> just jeans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so, so everybody buys them infrequently. They yes. buy them as cheap as they can. Yes. And you know, like, where's the really growth? There's no growth. This thing is probably going to grow at like what five percent, three percent. Everything has
1: to grow. Maybe it grow at a decent rate, it's cheap enough. It's worth buying, isn't it? I don't
2: know how cheap it is, but it's like growing at
1: 2%. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, we grew at 13% last year. We looked at the numbers oh, this morning. Of course. Right, Everything
2: grows before the IPO.
1: Oh, OK. <laughs> we're, we're suggesting there might it, be some. Uh, no, I'm not, suggesting,
2: I'm, I'm not suggesting anything, but you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're more scared of the lawyers than I am. I,
2: I don't want the Levi's to, <laughs> lawyers to come in <laughs> Levi's pants to getting getting after me.
1: Right? We, lo- we love Levi's for the record. So, right? Yeah, I love Levi's. All right, okay. so wear the pants, don't buy the shares. Is that what you're going with?
2: Currently, yeah,
1: yeah. I said to you this morning, I, I I love kind of the old brand. I'm not I'm not a big fad guy, not a big trend guy, and plenty of people who've seen my wardrobe would know exactly what I'm talking about. But I kind of love the old established brands, right? I've always been. I've, I've worn Levi's on and off since I was a kid. I think I probably will wear them until I die, assuming the company's still around. I want to I want to love it. Like I I, I like the idea of owning shares in kind of such an established stalwart business. But as you're saying, mate, I, I said to you this morning, so I love I love the jeans. I want to buy the shares. I just kind of can't, because to your point, you just wonder if they're listing on the, on, the, on the market, frankly, the fact that shares are up a third overnight, the chance that this is going to be a market-beating investment, got to be pretty low unless they find some way of doing something different, right?
2: Well, all those people who own the shares
1: pre-IPO are happy. Yeah, very happy, mate. Very 30% happy. gain. Yeah. Very happy with that. Overnight. And you realize that number. Well, that's fantastic returns. <laughs> <Hans. laughs> Motley full
0: Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, we're going to get into the Fool mailbag, our favourite segment. And by the uh, number of emails and, and tweets and in- questions we get from members, we hope, and listeners, and we hope one of your favourite segments as well. As a reminder, you can get in touch with us. At the Motley Fool AU on Twitter, our far uh, favourite way to communicate with our listeners because it lets us interact, go back and forth, and it's kind of fun to share it publicly. Um, you can also get me at TMF Scott P and you can get Doc at, at Anirban Mahanti, A N I R B A N M A H A N T I. Um, or you can hit us up on info at fool.com.au. That out of the way, let's open up the mailbag, Doc. First, Let's one. Do it. First one comes from Gabriel. Hi Scott and love the podcast. Tell he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's been listening. He is. I like that. The like right
2: that. thing. And he, you know, actually he might really love the podcast. He probably does. Yeah. I'm sure he does.
1: Yeah, he does. Everyone loves the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 go to that question. Great mix of market insights, he says, <laughs> and some good old fashioned banter. Us, who? What? Banter, eh, maybe okay. I have a question that you might be able to tackle on the podcast. I know you both favour a diversified portfolio of companies that meet your filters, and I'd like to know what your view is on fixed income. Do you see fixed income element complementing this portfolio? Uh, specific, of course, to each individual. And how would someone get exposure to fixed income as a retail investor? I checked some managed funds and found the management fees appalling. 05 to 0.6% to manage bonds. Ridiculous. We agree, Gabriel. Anyway, that's it. Hope you have time for this on your podcast. Keep up the good work, Gabriel. Gabriel, we do have time. Great question. And of course, we're narcissistic to a fault. So if you think we're great, then we think you're great because that's how the world goes around. Uh, so we will answer your question. Doc, fixed, you don't know, strike me as a fixed income kind of guy. I'm not, I was,
2: I was, actually, you know, <laughs> I have an answer for this. You know, number one is that depends. Anybody who says they need income, I said that, you know, you could you could have income from growth. Right, you just invest hang on, hang for hang on,
1: hang on. How, how can income is, from growth.
2: You just invest for growth mm-hmm. and you just sell some. Over the you
1: know, if you need like if you oh, want to it's all if, too high, can I just get some dividends plus I mean, you, you can't.
2: So you can do that, but you know, you can <laughs> always do growth and still get income. I and maybe you, you still you maybe you get ahead by doing that. Right. So that's number one. Uh, right. So that's one approach. The other approach is, of course, you can invest in dividend stocks.
1: It's now, Gabriel's true. kind of saying here though, that he wants a part of he a diversified wants, portfolio. Yeah. So he's kind of, to some degree, I think, if I read through the question, I think he's saying, well, I want fixed income as part of a diversified portfolio. Yep. So yes, it. I've got my growth. Yes, I've got my dividends. Mm. I kind of want fixed income as well. Yeah. Is that something you should be doing? And if so, how would you go about it?
2: Get it. You know, I don't do it, but if you wanted to do it, you could buy some bonds, so you could buy... Um, James Bond not James Bond well James Bond would be if you could buy James Bond that would be awesome if you could buy James Bond that would be really (laughs) awesome I I would buy some James Bond if I could but no Um, (laughs) (laughs) so you could you you could buy you know like you could buy um, bonds issued by companies Mm -hmm. you could buy government bonds they don't really pay much but you could buy emerging market government bonds for example if you believe that they're going to return you the money
1: sure because Venezuela has been great (laughs) Yeah, then you can get fifteen percent. <laughs> so you know Until you can you get nothing, yeah. or
2: you can get nothing. Yeah. You could look at you know you could look you, you could do that. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., they even have munis- municipal bonds. Right, you could buy those. I mean, actually, which
1: is the equivalent of kind of. State government bonds, for the most part, sometimes council. Sometimes, like council level yeah,
2: okay. bonds, right? Right. So you could buy those. Uh, and many of these pay, you know, five, six, seven percent uh, rates of return. Money depending. for jam. <laughs> Money. Well, you know, they they come with some certain risks attached. Uh, so that, that's one option. Right. Um, bank hybrids here is another option. Sure. True, sure. True. Um, then you've got you know you could do your usual term. So bank deposit.
1: hybrids are, are, are products issued by the banks that are effectively have the characteristics of income because they pay a fixed income. I always like preferred shares. They pay a fixed income yep. amount. Some can be converted. Some can't into shares down the track. Yep.
2: So yeah, they're, they're set somewhere between debt and yep. uh, equity in yep. in sort of the hierarchy of yep. things, right? I
1: would argue it has the worst of both worlds for what it's <laughs> worth. That's that's a whole different range. <laughs> that's a different different that's rant. That's a different right?
2: So I mean, yeah, if you really want to do it, there are, it, there are many many options, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've if you've got a, if you've got access to a platform that gives you access to all sorts of bonds and yep. you know then yeah you, you definitely can you can search for them.
1: I am going to echo some of your earlier thoughts, Doc. I Gabriel. I. So here's my thing. I love the idea of diversified portfolios, but I'm squarely against the idea of a Noah's Ark portfolio. And what I call Noah's Ark portfolios when you have to have have two of everything, right? Diversification doesn't mean have some of everything in in equal proportion, even unequal proportions, at some point then all you get is is mediocrity, right? Um, Airlines are a terrible business in my view. Um, Resources are a relatively terrible business in my view. I'm not going to have two of those just because I feel like I should for diversification's sake. So I love diversification, but don't fall into the trap of thinking diversification equals some of everything. Um, You end up just kind of chasing mediocrity at that level. And frankly, once you've done that, you might as well buy an index and go home which also, by the way, is fine if that's what you're into. Um, if, if you'd rather just have, buy an index and, and go to the beach, go fishing, go to the shops, and then go for it. Um, if you're looking, though, to build a portfolio using your own steam, I would be diversified to make sure you're not exposed to any particular risk or set of risks within your portfolio. So having four banks is not diversification. If I need to be clear about that. Um... But also, to having to everything just, as I said, legion of mediocrity. If you're not going to beat the market with – we talked about utilities before, right? Utilities are generally not going to beat the market. If your aim is to beat the market, don't buy utilities because you're not going to do it. And don't have them just because you feel like you need to be diversified. So fixed income, I would – depends where you are in your life. You mentioned, Gabriel, that we can't give personal advice, and that's dead true. If you're in a situation where you're starting to draw down an income out of your retirement portfolio, for example, there may be an excuse for some degree of fixed income, whether that's in bonds or cash or term deposits or something else, or dividends, quite frankly. Um, But... (sighs) I would have to go a very, very long way before recommending that people include bonds in their portfolio and certainly not just for the purpose of diversification. So I hope that makes sense. Doc's Given you some options. And you're right too, by the way, mate. The, the, the costs of these things are extraordinarily high relative to the return you're getting. So I, I just don't see enough reason to, to jump down that, that rabbit hole personally. For money, Doc, an email from Nick. Mm-hmm. What does Nick want? Well, good thing is Nick also has read the memo. Yes. So he says, hi, team. Love the podcast, of course. Of course hey, you do. good man, Nick. And he asks an interesting question, which I haven't come across before. He says, what do you make of the upcoming? So there's an upcoming float. And it's called the Pengana Capital ASX-listed. Oh, sorry. It's, it's ASX-listed. It's the Pengana Capital Global Private Equity Trust with about 600 holdings. From what I read, it seems like an interesting or innovative way to access the huge global private investment market traded on the ASX. He says in brackets, at a 1.25 percentage fee and performance. Now, Pengana is a a business that is owned in large part by Solpat, so I will disclose I own Sol and shares, just to get that right out of the way. Um, Interesting though, mate, the whole private equity market, there's been an enormous explosion in the number and, frankly, the amount of money being put towards pre-IPO companies. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan's SoftBank had, a I want to say it's a $100 billion US fund. Yeah, um, There's an extraordinary amount of money going into the public, mar- the private markets. And to that extent, when Uber, for example, lists, and we'll talk about Uber in, in maybe next next week or the week after, when it lists, it'll list with something like a $100 billion valuation. Back in the old days, companies would be listing at a tenth of that if, if that, because that was the best way for them to access capital. There's so much money now going to the private markets, they're staying private a whole lot longer. Now, given that's the case, that from the $10 billion to $100 billion opportunity was kept away from you and me because we're not private market investors. But the IPO guys, the venture capitalists, the private equity investors, they got that gain. Is it sensible? Does it make sense to start looking for ways that individual investors can access the private market, something like this Penn Garner Fund?
2: All right. So uh, this is this is a very, very, you know, it, this this could be a whole podcast. Right? So, <laughs> this is a complicated Do We question. haven't got time then. Let's not do that. We don't have that kind of time. So I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it short. Thank you. Um, so number one, I really like, I think for all the reasons that you stated, I think there is some value, uh, actually lots of value in, in the private space because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in the private space. A lot of companies today mm-hmm. are not going public and they're going public much later in their life. Correct. So therefore one way to tap the growth of some of the most innovative companies is actually to invest in the private market. Mm-hmm. Now, the question really here is that if if this fund or any other fund for for the matter of fact can give you access to some of the best, so as it comes down to, again, the ability of the of the fund managers to access, A, have access, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a question of having the access and then B invest and invest at in attractive terms. Mm-hmm. If they're doing that, then this could be a great way to earn returns. But, you know, how do you really know that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that you need to do the due diligence to. You need to see the type, I guess a couple of things, type of companies they're investing in, what sort of information do you have about them? Who are the other people they're investing with, right? right. Most, most big, most investments in interesting companies have other big partners that you know, well-known names that you can, you can identify. If that's the case, then this is great. But if it's not, I mean, you don't know, right? There's are hundreds and hundreds of companies that are private. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not, not all might. it's just like the, again, like the equity markets, right? Not all companies are worth investing, mm. uh, the equity markets are large. So, again, um, the, the hard part might be actually due to due diligence, and you might just have to accept the fact that you you have to believe in the I guess the lead investors and their ability to find the right investments. And if you do that, then maybe that's okay,
1: right? I think, that, I think that's right. But I think you know, the the, the question here is that it, the the reason that I'm saying the the concept might be interesting or even attractive is that lots of those companies are getting lots of value and using uber as an example probably it's probably a nice uh common example but frankly it also makes it look like it's an easy thing to do right hey if i get uber at 10 billion then get to 100 billion i'll make a fortune that's absolutely true of course there are plenty of pe companies that never ever make it to the public markets for very good reasons uh because they run out of cash or they're just generally crap businesses um so at some level i i, I think it's you know it's it's a tra- it's an attractive idea People want to be engaged and invested in the next Uber, the next Lyft, the next whatever, and that's absolutely right. Um, We know that private equity has a terrible track record on average in terms of their strike rate, but a wonderful track record, generally speaking, on the average return they get because for every Facebook, you can afford to have a dozen or 20 failures and still make a lot of money. So that's why it's attractive. I think it... (sighs) I think to your point, Doc, you, you have to believe the fund manager specifically has bring something to the table. Pengana's not being offered anything particularly attractive that no one else is being offered. And so at some level, they're going to get the same returns as everybody else. And so if you're paying them a 1.2, 1.25% fee plus an outperformance fee if they yeah. beat the, the benchmark, which apparently looks like 8% based on the PDS I'm looking at here, um, you know, it's, it's not, hey, if they do it, it's worth it, right? If they can beat the market and give you a really good return, then fantastic. If it's just another way for them to make some money and maybe not you to make some money, then that maybe not, maybe not a wonderful idea. I would, generally speaking with most managed funds, we know most of them lose to the market over time. Um, so I would just be a little bit careful because fees tend to be the difference. Even the good managers, by the time you've taken out 1.25% plus outperformance, very, very tough to beat the market over time. Pengana might be the exception that proves the rule, but we know it's something like three quarters to 80% of funds actually lose to the market after fees. So just be a little bit careful about where you're jumping. The idea is attractive. Whether it ends up being a good investment is probably a bigger question. I'd probably give it some time to perform on the market first. Check it out. Like everything, there's no hurry, right? Give it, give it some time. It's got a list in April. Apparently. Once at least you can have a have a bit of a look and see what you think.
2: Yeah, and have a look at what they've invested in, right? I mean, if they're investing in some of the, you know, businesses you want to be invested in, right, then maybe right. then it's worthwhile. The other thing I'll quickly point out, I actually did not know this. Eight percent seems like a bit of a low hurdle. It? Yeah, because you know you one point two five percent you're already taking, right? That's your base fee. if you do nine percent, <laughs> you're gonna take a performance <laughs> fee on the difference of the percentage. I mean, you actually you could be underperforming the market uh, if if there's not a huge outperformance here. If there's a huge outperformance here, then fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. Modley full money. Mate, one last question comes from Alex on Twitter. Alex says, "Hey Scott, love the podcast. Hey, you? hey, he's Alex, doing well, we love Alex. Uh, I've been listening for a long time now and learned a lot. I wonder if he's talking about someone else's podcast. Oh, it must be ours. Maybe you got the person wrong. Maybe no, it's in this somebody come else. On. I'm very confident. Sure, it's, it's, he, yeah, yeah, it's us. Yeah, yes, we do it best. And he loves us. I know, but uh, if think... he's well, he thinks he loves. Him. Maybe he's talking about someone else. Maybe it's another podcast he's listening to. Maybe it's cereal. Uh, anyway, uh, okay." He says, "My question to you and Doc is how correlated are big market sell-offs to earnings season reports, due to high expectations that don't become reality?" Great question. On the back of my of earnings season, we're only a couple of weeks out. It feels like a million years ago now, mate. It's been it's been three weeks since earnings season, and uh, the, the the relief of that wipes a lot of the uh, wipes a lot of the, the bad memories away from the late nights and and uh, plenty of effort getting through all this stuff. When it comes to earnings reports, are sell-offs either at a company or market level tend to be correlated to? big sell-offs and, and what would drive those things yeah, so i
2: think at a company level for sure like i mean you know if a company has a bad report and it's you know uh, okay i should i'll rephrase that it's all about expectations yes <laughs> so it's more about the expectations if the expectations were for a certain report and the expectation wasn't met then depending on how much do you miss <laughs> like i mean almost if you see there's right. a if there's an operating profit um Expectation missed by twenty percent, the mm-hmm. shares will fall by twenty percent approximately, yeah. right? Uh, so that, that's the, that's the thing. And again, if the expectation of a of a outperformance was there, and you outperformed even that by another twenty percent, the shares might rise by twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And So I think we see that pretty regularly. I mean, you know, there's a plus and minuses here that happens. um I think the market is very very good in general. In 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 digesting short-term news, right? The news that comes out, it's pretty good in digesting that. It is good at digesting that with reference to what it was thinking before that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we saw plenty of that this earnings season. Um, Yeah, so uh, I think, He's, he's right. I mean, the overall market sell-offs, they do happen more, I think, in relation to, you know, if you have a series of bad results, if there's some, some economic news, or, you know, the rates went up, the rates went down, uh-huh. um, those sort of things, or something big happens, you know, doesn't even have to happen in Australia. It could happen externally. And those things have big... Or if the world markets sell off, <laughs> then our market might just decide to sell off just because the world market is sell off. So those, at a market level, those things happen. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the, at a the company-specific level, There's there is a good correlation there between expectations and the outcomes that you see in the report.
1: Generally speaking, Alex, what it tends to history tends to suggest that, uh, to Doc's point, company by company level, they tend to be pretty correlated. Um, you know, disappointments or, or um, positive surprises, mm-hmm. what we call that, um, tend to be reflected in the share prices pretty quickly and, and often same day or next day. And they the swings can be big based on expectations, as Doc said. Not so much whether the profits growing or declining. Um, you should you figure that should determine it, but because the market's already looking forward, the market's already to use the jargon pricing in. That result. So brickworks, for example, this week, good example. Um, profit was up. sorry, New Hope, I'll use New Hope Coal. Profit was up. I want to say forty percent. Shares actually fell on the day because the market had already expected that growth, and the outlook wasn't great. Yeah. And so you got this, you got this combination of you know forty percent growth. that has got to be great for the share price. Well, if you check out the share price graph. The shares have gone up in anticipation of that already, mm. and so it's the new news that the market's responding to or the or the change versus what they expected. That's often true. When it comes to the market as a whole, though, Doc, your point, absolutely, in the, particularly in the short to medium term, we tend to flick around based on what's happening overseas. Um, the market in Australia tends to follow overnight leads from the US, for example, slavishly and stupidly, in my view, but then there you go. Um, similarly, commodity prices, that's a whole other rant. Um I've got a couple of rants backed up already. Um, are you going to give us a rant, by the way, in a minute? No, but, but, haven't got um, it. No. Not feeling it.
2: I'm not feeling. Oh, I, right. I feel feel that you know the questions are great. Oh, okay, I love the questions.
1: It's cathartic. No. All right, uh, but over <laughs> the long term, um, I will say the 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 market, generally speaking, foresees economic weakness that leads to profit falls. So while in the in, on a company by company basis, on a short term basis, absolutely share prices flick around based on on earnings. Over the long term, you tend to find that if if the market is expecting the economy as a whole to do poorly, and therefore, for the most part, um, share prices to fall because profits are going to fall as a whole, the market tends to foresee that rather than reacting to it. And so it's one of those things, the old, the old phrase, if you're going to panic, panic early, um, tends to apply because by the time everyone knows the news, the share price has already fallen, and then it's too late. Now, I will countenance that with, with something exactly opposite, so I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth. Generally speaking, the... Um, the correlation between GDP and share markets is very, very weak. And so if you take a particular year's performance, um, 2018, 2020, 2000, 1995, whatever, whatever year, generally speaking, the correlation between, hey, GDP was positive, therefore the share price was dot, dot, dot. And the answer is nobody knows. There is no direct correlation between the movements of both of those. So frankly, I think, Howard. you know, Howard, I think I might have said this in a previous podcast doc, Howard Marks says there are things that are, he's a famous US investor, says there are things that are really important but unknowable, and so you just simply can't do anything about them. If you know them, of course you would do something, but you can't know them, they're not available, they're not possible, so you just kind of can't respond to them. So yes, he would love to know (laughs) what will happen with share prices based on X, Y, or Z, um, but GDP is not one of those that really makes a whole heap of sense, and I think that's where you want to be just a little bit careful about how you treat the market and treat expectations. Um, Focus on the long term. Don't try and... yeah you. Riding the wave is uh, painful and stressful and emotionally taxing, but it still remains, unfortunately, because you'd be able to do something different, the very best way to invest for the long term is just simply buy to hold. Keep holding as long as your thesis remains solid. You'll have some really terrible years. You'll have some really wonderful years. And overall, history suggests that the market goes up over time. And so rather than trying to guess and get in and get out at the right times, just simply investing, buying to hold. It's about the right thing to do. Couldn't agree more. That's a good way to finish, mate we didn't mention apple this podcast you
2: you just like so agreement. We out time. you just like agreement that's all you like
1: right? i like i like when you agree with me mate because it means you're right
2: okay <laughs> well does that mean you are right yeah, yeah of course you like confirmation
1: bias no I'm, all, yeah, I'm always right so when you agree with me then we right. It's just confirmation bias. Though. but i'm i'm right anyway i don't yeah, need a confirmation bias i just want you to feel you're right because you know that if i'm right you're right
2: i'm right you're right yeah okay maybe maybe our listeners are right
1: if they're listening to us, they are. Yeah, that's true. By definition. Yeah, that's true. They're very uh, smart people. Yeah, and they, lo- and they love us. That's Smart, important. funny, good-looking. Hey, I got. To, I will say one last thing. I got a, a really great email during the week um, from Inga, who I haven't got the email directly in front of me, but since you mentioned our, our reasoning being smart and funny, interesting and good-looking, I thought I'd mention Inga. Um, Inga listens to the podcast. She loves what we're doing, which is very nice of her. She also, though, took my advice from last week's rant. Maybe not as a result of last week's rant, but in general, took my advice, and she's renegotiated her mortgage rate Yay, down. well done. She saved something like 0.3% on her rate. Now, on a 30-year, half-million dollar mortgage, that'll save her about 30 grand. That's like a new car. That's the price of a new car. Oof. I said that last week. Uh, this, is, this is the... For all the time and all the effort people go to do all the stuff in their lives, I want you to listen to all rant, don't worry. Um, she has done a spectacularly smart... Good thing, didn't cost her as much or probably take as much effort as she thought it might. So here's what here's my call out for our listeners. I would love us to start a movement here, Doc. I want to be a force for good with our, for our listeners and for everybody. So if you've renegotiated your rate, if you're going to, or if you have done it, please hit us up on Twitter at the TheMotleyFoolAU and let us know. Let us know that you've renegotiated your rate. Let us know what your new rate is. Give some encouragement to your fellow fools and your fellow non-yet-fools who don't necessarily know this we'll tweet out, we'll retweet everybody who tweets at us at the multi full au and says hey i got a lower rate and here's what i got we will put your name up in lights we want to share the goodness that is lower mortgage rates we want you to pay less and the banks to make a little bit less because you just hate the have? banks.
2: That's you. Do, you hate. You don't want them to I make hate a profit. People
1: getting screwed by the banks. Oh, they <sighs> make plenty of profit. Don't worry about that, mate. There's plenty of cash to go just, around. Just trying
2: to make them. You know, making their lives hard.
1: At the Motley Fool are you, please. Uh, <laughs> the episode's almost finished. So just last couple of minutes to go, and then please jump on Twitter. If you want to jump on Facebook, we're at Facebook at The Motley Fool AU as well. The Motley Fool Australia, I think it is, actually. Uh, Just search Motley Fool Australia, you'll find us. Email us at info at fool.com.au. If you don't have either of those social channels, but please hit us up. Let us know what you've saved. Give your fellow fools some encouragement. We could all do with paying a little bit less on our mortgages, I reckon. Oh, yeah, I agree. That does wrap us up, but before we go, don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast, and you should, through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. And if you would like what we're doing, please give us a big rating, a bit of a review, help other people find us as well. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolish foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on.